man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. not exactly embarrassed, but it's kind of an odd thing to see a fight going on between two people you respect. You have Paul, the great apostle. You have Peter, the disciple, the great apostle. Here they are having an argument. And uh, you sort of want to just put your hands over your ears and say, stop the fighting, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, it's a little bit of an embarrassment. Uh, I suppose there you have Peter, and Paul is telling Peter he's wrong. And uh, there's some groups of Christians who would say Peter was infallible, but it just seems like a, an odd thing. But I want for us to look at this passage of Scripture to understand what the issue was, why it was important, something of how uh, it was dealt with. Um, and in particular, that we keep in mind the... Um, the unfolding of the authentic gospel of grace in Christ Jesus and why that was so important uh, at this point. I remind you what the uh, situation was. Paul had preached in the uh, Galatian region. Churches had been started. Gentiles uh, had become believers. They had come into the body of Christ, um, and they were very happy to do so. Then some other teachers came along and said, well, no, it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. You also need to be a part of the people of Israel. You need to observe the old covenant entry rights and participation in what it meant to be uh, a part of Israel. And so you need to obey the law, and particularly in the sense that you need to uh, obey the dietary laws and the feast days and the Sabbath laws and circumcision and, and all those things that, that Jews do, particularly because they are Jews, you need to do that too. And Paul writes this marvelous letter of Galatians to say, in point of fact, the gospel is a gospel of grace to which nothing is added at all. And so he um, tells these readers of the occasions when he was uh, with the uh, leaders of the Jerusalem church just to illustrate that they had not added anything to the gospel, neither had he added into the, anything to the gospel, and that in point of fact, he and the apostles of Jerusalem were on the same page preaching the same gospel. Now, the problem comes that um, in the incident that we're reading about today, that Peter comes to Antioch, there's a little disagreement on what the authentic gospel means, and that's what we're looking at this morning. Now, I think we make a big mistake if we think this was an all-out fight. We make a mistake if we think that Paul went to Peter and got in his face the way guys like to do, you know, just sort of in their face and, you know, trying to get up and over them and nose-to-nose and talking and, and yelling and so that, you know, saliva and spit is flying back and forth. And, you know, that is not what's going on here. It's not as though Paul singled Peter out and said, Pete, stand up here. I've got a word to say to you. Folks, he's wrong, dead wrong. You know he's wrong. We've got to vote him out. You know, that kind of thing. I think what happened was in uh, uh, a setting with, with uh, the, um, the, the church there, Paul said, Peter, I really need to talk to you about this. See, now that, that phrase in verse 11 where he says, I, I, I confronted him to his face. 
See, we take that to be sort of a in-your-face kind of thing. All it means is I talked to him in person. I didn't go behind his back. I didn't start rumors. I didn't start gossip. I didn't build up my faction against his faction. I didn't work this around so that I could manipulate things so that I could win the argument on a political maneuver. He said, no, I went and I talked to Peter in person. And not only that, I was happy to do so publicly. I was happy to have this discussion made known to everybody because it was just that important. We needed to settle this issue here. So that's the kind of thing that that is going on at this point. Look with me at verse 11. Paul says, but when Cephas... Now, Cephas is just the uh, Aramaic name for Peter. They both mean rock. So when Cephas, that is Peter, when he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, this is not the same situation as when um, Jesus said, if you see your brother sinning, go to him, tell him that he's sinning, and then if he doesn't listen, go get somebody else, and and two witnesses say, look, you're sinning, you need to uh, bring your life uh, back around, and if he doesn't listen, then drag him before the church and say, look, you're sinning, and if he won't listen to the church, then treat him like a Gentile. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is a difference in perspective and understanding of what the gospel means as it's being lived out in life. And so Paul says, I went to Peter and I told him personally that I wanted him uh, to understand what the gospel really should mean here. This is not a pet peeve of Peter. This isn't just that he's got an idea he likes and so he's going to argue with Peter about it. It's rather that Paul understands that the situation goes to the very heart of what the gospel means, the very heart of the authentic gospel. You see, it's so easy for us to get sidetracked from the gospel. We do this in church all the time. You know, you walk in the door, you pretty much park in the same spot, don't you? If you don't, somebody else is in your spot. And then we talk about a Christ-like attitude. You get out of the car and you're walking in and you're you know, you're farming the kids out one place or another. You've, you've got your door that you always go in. Same people there. Hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. Yeah, I'm doing fine too. See the ball game? Yeah, how about that soccer match? Don't watch soccer anymore. The USA lost. Don't care about soccer. You did, didn't you? You quit watching the moment they lost. Not all of you. <laughs> first round. You quit in the first round. Then we walk in and we talk about sports and how the kids and school and so forth and we come get our coffee and we talk about something else and you know we get to our Sunday school class and we sit there and you know we pretty much know how to do that and we talk about things a little bit but then we get up and we come into church we sit down in our same pew if somebody's sitting there then we got another problem <laughs> sing the songs get the through through the sermon and go home and we haven't once engaged consciously and intentionally in the authentic gospel. We just find it easier to talk about ball games and soccer and the kids and school and work. Why is it even in the church we're a little embarrassed to say, you know, how are you doing? God is doing great things in my life. Let me tell you about them. But we do that. We we get sidetracked from the gospel. And so that's what's uh, happened here um, in this situation. Uh, Paul says, "I, I needed to confront him Uh, about that. Now, uh, this kind of rebuke is not a a detrimental thing. 
It's not going to injure the fellowship. This kind of rebuke and this, this kind of confrontation strengthens the fellowship because you know for a fact that Peter didn't respond. I wish we knew how he responded, but um, the, um, the Peter did not respond the way you and I would. You know, someone comes up to me and says, well, you know what you're doing in the sermons? I really don't care for it. You know, you pace back and forth and you get over here and I notice that you walk all the way to the edge on the right side of the pulpit, but when you're walking to the other side, I notice that you stop right there at the register. You don't come all the way. You love them more than you love us. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah. In the flesh, what's the response? You must be some kind of idiot. I mean, that's the way we respond. I don't think that's how Peter responded. I wish we knew. I mean, this, this is the whole confrontation, the whole discussion right here. All Paul says was, Peter came, wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. I told him that was wrong. Here's what I said. And then after verse 14, he turns to just explain his position. He never tells us what Peter said. What if Peter were here? What would he say? What would be his side of the story? Well, now, we know this is inspired, and it's, and it's true in every aspect and in every word of it, but wouldn't it be interesting to have Peter's side of the discussion? So they're, they're going back and forth, and, all, and the, the only reason Paul is sharing this is to say to the Galatian Christians, look, there was an important issue even in Antioch over something as silly or, or small, seemingly, as who you have dinner with. So this was a, a, a kind of growing uh, uh, opportunity for the church in, in that regard. It was sort of an, a, a, an opportunity for Paul and Peter to be provoking one another to good works. Okay, you have to hang in there with that whole phrase. Provoking one another to good works. So Cephas came to Antioch. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James. Now, James was the, uh, an apostle uh, in Jerusalem, and so to say men who came from James, it's not to say that James the apostle sent these guys to straighten uh, Peter out or to straighten Paul out or anything like that. It's simply to say these men came down from Jerusalem, from the Jerusalem church. That's where they, they worshiped. They came from uh, the James circle or the James area uh, of ministry. So they came down from James to, to talk to us um, and, and to, to challenge us. So that's all, all he means by that. Certain men came down from James. He, that is Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. See, Peter understood that. You remember in um, Acts chapter 10 and 11 that uh, Peter was up on the rooftop in Joppa and he had the vision of all these animals being let down, the clean and the unclean, and the voice from heaven said, kill and eat. Peter said, there's no way I am going to eat anything that is unclean. And the voice of God said to him, don't you dare call anything unclean that I have created. The very next moment, messengers from Cornelius, a Gentile, came saying, Peter, we were told you could come and share the gospel with us. Peter, realizing what God had been telling him, got up, went to the home of Cornelius, in the home of a Gentile, preached the gospel. The Holy Spirit descended upon the household. They recognized the work of God in these people's lives. Says, hey, they, they believe just like we did. We need to have them baptized. And so the, the, the whole ministry to the Gentiles really begins with Peter there in the home of Cornelius. So Peter, under, 
understands about the gospel, crossing barriers and going and, and speaking with the Gentiles. And so Peter was happy to be eating with the Gentiles. He'd already been instructed in that. He'd already had his, his, his mind uh, um, turned towards that important ministry. So before uh, these men from James came, he was eating with the Gentiles. He was fine with that. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. He was afraid. Now, Peter could have explained that. I, I guess there's ways to explain the same. Well, well, I just didn't want to offend the, the people from James. I just didn't want to offend them. It wasn't a big deal to me, so I just, I just sort of long, went along with them. In that case, Paul says, well, Peter, you've got to understand what it looks like to your Gentile friends and your brothers and sisters. Now, if you're, if you're a Gentile believer and Peter's eating with you and then suddenly he won't eat with you, he won't have dinner with you, you know, you're just sort of scratching your head and saying, what's going on here? What did I say? What did I do? What's the problem here? And that's why Paul had to sort of straighten it out in that sense. But Peter acted out of fear of what these others would think and what they were saying. You know, so often we do that. I mean, we don't do it intentionally. None, I, I really don't think any of us are intentionally hypocritical. Maybe you are. Maybe you wake up in the morning and you say, how can I be a hypocrite today? Maybe you do but I don't think so. I think what happens is we honestly believe the gospel and we honestly listen to the world and we just don't put the two together. And so we go along with what the world says. We go along with what the world has as a philosophy, as a, as a value structure, as a system of priorities, as a definition of what relationships are about, as a, as a um, uh, sort of a presentation of what life should be. We just go ahead and listen to the world. And it never dawns us on us that the gospel would actually occur to that. So yeah, we believe the gospel, and yes, we're living in a way that's totally contrary to the gospel, but we're not saying, hey, sign me up for the hypocrite society. We just never put the two together. Well, folks, think. Put them together. That, that's, the, that's the point here uh, of, uh, of, of the authentic gospel, bringing it together in this way. Peter simply failed to connect his words and his actions. And so he drew back, separating himself, fearing the circumcision party, that is, fearing those who said you had to observe all the Jewish uh, rules and regulations. The rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas, and this is the one that breaks your heart, you know, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, Barnabas, the one who reached down when John Mark was, 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 you know, had stumbled badly and reached down and picked him up and encouraged him. Barnabas, who, who went out of his way to bring Paul back into the, the circle and recognized and stood up for him and all that. Even Barnabas, he says, was led astray by their hypocrisy. They just didn't quite get it. Now, suppose this was just a barbecue you know, the people from James and Peter, they're going to have a nice barbecue. They're going to spread the food. And, and the Gentiles just know they're not invited. That's, that's bad enough. But where do Christians fellowship most around the table? Where do believers come together to break bread? It's around the Lord's table. And, can I, and it's all of one fabric. I, I just about see Paul 
uh, understanding that, yeah, this, this just might be a cookout and it's all about casseroles and, and hot dogs and hamburgers or something and all beef, of course. <laughs> but uh, he says, you know where this leads? This leads coming to the Lord's table and saying we've got to divide this up. You know, there's, there's some people on one side and some on another. You ever do this when you were a kid? I, I shared a bedroom with my brother. Maybe you did with a brother or a sister. You know, at some point in, in the process, you get this thing, of, this is my side, that's your side. You know? And like a genius, you pull out a, a, a roll of masking tape and you tape the line right down. Okay, this is my side, that's your side. My brother looks at me and says, you understand the door to the room is on my side. That's why I've been in therapy so long. <laughs> you know, but what would happen if, we, if we, we ran a piece of tape down the middle of the aisle and said, you, look, you folks stay over there. You're, you're nice people and that's okay, but you're not good enough to be with us over here. You sing the wrong songs. You like the wrong music. You, 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 oh, my. I even saw you raise your hands while you were worshiping. We over here are more godly and spiritual than that. And of course, you're over here saying, fine, you stay on your side. You deadbeats who don't have any notion of the work of the Spirit in your life, you're dead and cold. And you know, you know, what would happen if we did that? But Paul said, that's what's happening here. You're segregating yourselves from one another. You're judging a brother or a sister as not equal with yourself and not as approachable as yourself. The severity of Peter's conduct was this. He was adding something to grace. He said, you know, we're people of the gospel and we're, we're people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. But, you know, that blood of Jesus Christ, you need something else over here. You've got to add a religion to it. You've got to add the, the, the works of the, of the law to it. You've got to add something to it. So the whole question here is, is there one gospel by grace or is there simply a, a gospel by grace for the Jew and a gospel by grace and the law for the Gentiles? I would go to verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct, this is the line to underline, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Your conduct doesn't line up with the gospel of grace. That's what I said to Cephas before them all. Now, if you find the rest of this verse confusing, join the club. You know, it's, it's one of those sentences that Paul writes that you get going and then you're in the middle of it and then it folds back upon itself and then it winds up over here and you really don't know how you got there. Here's what I think he means. And there's other ways to take it, but here's what I think he means. He says to Peter, if you, though a Jew, you were born a Jew, you, you have all that tradition and heritage, it's a part of your life, it's a part of your, the definition of who you are. You were born a Jew. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile. And he, I don't think he means that, wow, you've given up all, the, all these Jewish ways, and now you're, you're just running around, can't tell the difference between you and a Gentile, and you're going to the sport clubs and the amphitheater theater and all those kinds of things. No. He says, if you being a Jew, you live by the grace of God the way a Gentile does. You know, you're not counting on your Jewishness 
any longer for salvation for life. You were born into this tradition as rich as it is, but you're not trusting in the tradition of Judaism for your salvation. You're alive now, Peter. You live the way a Gentile does. That is, coming to the cross as a sinner. Coming to the cross as someone who desperately needs cleansing and wholeness and forgiveness. And so, Peter, you're a Jew, but even you knew that the only way to come to Christ was as a sinner. You couldn't come as, a, as, as somebody with a religion there. You pulled out your membership card and said, Jesus, you owe me. You know, Jesus, I have a coupon here, salvation at a discount. No, you, Peter, you came just like the Gentiles come. You came entirely as a sinner. I think that's what he means. He says, so if you, though you're a Jew, but you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, you're not trusting in your Judaism, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews. How can you tell the Gentiles that they have to go and trust in this tradition and in this religion and in this legalism when you already know it doesn't work? How can you tell those Gentiles to do that when you wouldn't and you couldn't? You didn't. Now, how can you do that? I mean, it it just doesn't make any sense that way. And so how can you make them live like a Gentile when you won't? Uh, live like a Jew when you won't yourself. See, here the authentic gospel comes into focus. Here's where that gospel has got to be crystal clear in your mind. The gospel is not about grace and something else. It's not about grace and certain political views, grace and certain economic status, grace, certain race, grace, certain gender, grace, certain uh, social standing. It's not about grace and anything else. It is grace alone. The gospel, the authentic gospel, knows of only one great need in the human heart, and that need is for forgiveness of sin. The need of the human heart is not for forgiveness of sin and a realignment of your politics. It's not for forgiveness of sin and a reshaping of your uh, political opinions. The, the, the gospel is not about the great need of sin, and then there's also some, <clears throat> some need for, for an economic massaging of, of your social standing. There is only one great need in the human heart, and that is our sin against God. There's only one great need that you have, and that is to be forgiven of your sin against God. That is the gospel. There's only one great need, and there's only one great answer, and that answer is Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us, who shed his blood, whose body was broken so that our sins were could be forgiven. He died in our place. The death we deserve, he took. The life that is his, he gave to us. There is only one great answer to the need of the human heart, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. The answer to the human need is not Jesus Christ and a bunch of self-help books. The answer to your need is not Jesus Christ and a better attitude, more positive thinking. The answer for your need is not Jesus Christ and a certain kind of, of, of conduct 
conduct and a certain kind of, of, of religiosity. The answer for your need for the forgiveness of your sin, the only one great answer is Jesus Christ. There is only one response to that answer, and that is the answer of faith and trust in Jesus. It is not faith in Jesus plus works of the law. It is not faith in Jesus plus doing good works. We are called to good works. We are called to be God's workmanship, putting on display his grace in our lives. But the answer and the response to the grace of God in Jesus Christ who died for his sins, the only one great response is faith, trust in Jesus Christ. That's the only great response. There's only one great life that follows from that response, and that is walking in the footsteps of Christ. You do not walk in the footsteps of Christ one day, then walk in the footsteps of a philosopher the next day, then walk in the footsteps of the economic gurus the next day, then walk in the footsteps of some celebrity the next day. There are only one set of footprints that leads to heaven, and they are the footprints of Jesus Christ. Our lives must reflect him and him alone. There's only one great response, and there that is faith, and there's only one great life, and that's a life in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, and there's only one great hope, and that is that Jesus Christ is coming again. We will work until I, we, we drop in the hardest trying to fix this world, but human sin will constantly break those things that God has created. But when Jesus Christ again comes again, every eye will see him, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even those who pierced him shall see him, and all that God has has created will be restored to the way God has always designed it to be. That is our one great hope in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel that we preach. Now you kind of see why Paul says to Peter, you shouldn't do it that way. It seems like a small thing. It just seems like a small thing that you're eating with the Jews and you won't eat with the Gentiles. It seems like a small thing. But you're attacking the heart of the gospel. You're adding something. It might be a great thing, but it is not Jesus Christ. This is the one great gospel. Never to be disparaged. Never to be neglected never to be altered, never to be distorted, never to be watered down. This is the gospel, never to be twisted back into some kind of distortion of religion. This is the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ and in him alone. We add nothing to the grace of God at all. And so um, in this case, um, the, the, the gospel had broken down a barrier between Jew and Gentile. Everybody in the world knew that Jews were strange and that Gentiles didn't, and Jews just didn't mix. Everybody knew that except Jesus and those who loved him. You know, the world could have given you all kinds of reasons and explanations why Jews and Gentiles would never get along. But in Jesus Christ, the barrier, the dividing wall was torn down, and there's one body in Christ. In just a moment or two, we're going to come to this table going to come to this table, the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus, what would you add to it? What else would you put on this table? Would you put on there some kind of money restriction? Would you put on there some kind of success restriction? Would you put some condiments of 
morality and goodness there first? Would you put some kind of hors d'oeuvre that you had to eat in order to qualify for the rest of the table? What else would you put on this table? This is the body of Christ. This is the new covenant in His blood. That is the sufficient food for the believer in Jesus Christ. We don't need anything else. Folks, we don't want anything else. Folks, this is all we need. This is all we want. His blood shed for us. His body broken for us. This is enough. And so this little incident, and we don't know how it worked out. We do know that Paul and Peter evidently uh, remained good colleagues and comrades in the work of the gospel. Uh, Paul, whenever he mentions Peter, does so in a complimentary way. And Peter, when he mentions Paul, speaks of him as, as, as someone who is really in tune with, with, with God's grace. So we know this didn't divide them. But this small issue touched on the authentic gospel. And my prayer is that you would be so attuned to the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ, Him crucified, raised on our behalf, ascended into heaven, coming again, that you'd be so in tune with the authentic gospel. You don't want anything else. You can't stand anything else. Jesus alone. Lord. Okay. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Um, Father, I just thank you for your, your kindness and your grace toward us. I, I thank you for the way in which you've saved us, not by our merit, our goodness, or anything within ourselves. But Father, you have saved us solely by the blood of Jesus. I pray that that would be impressed upon our hearts so that as we go out of this place, walking in his footsteps, the authentic gospel would be lived out in our lives. Father, for the person here this morning, and only now is it starting to make sense, it's by grace and grace alone, and needs to receive the Savior, I pray for the work of your Spirit, even now, to bring such a one to the cross in confession and faith. Father, glorify yourself. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.